Hi guys, thank you for sticking through the third episode of The Trust Fall. So last week we spoke about pursuing a career of our choice and sticking through our dreams and, you know, excelling in a field that is dear to us in a professional manner, etc, etc. But this week we will be talking about academia. And you know, it this word is pretty new to me. I've heard it here and there, but never really took the time to understand what it means. And when I googled it, what it says is that academia is the environment or the community concerned with the pursuit of research, education, and scholarship. That sounds never ending to me. Meaning if you have like one subject that you're very interested in, you will be around the community that actually is interested in the same subject and is pursuing the understanding and bettering, I guess, of this subject. Um, today we will be talking to Stephanie Jamatis, which has been in academia for quite a while. Honestly, I have to say that she's been in school from the beginning of her life to right now. And she will talk about the ups and the lows and what it entails to be in academia. So tag along. Hi, Steph. Hi. Hi, Lily. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And thank you for giving me some of your precious two minutes out of a thousand. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the reason I'm saying this is because Stephanie has this tight schedule. You actually have to book her for whatever you need to do with her two weeks in advance I'm not exaggerating and it's gonna be on you if you dare call her out of nowhere and she does not pick up (laughs) yeah yeah you have to plan I I plan everything I plan when I sleep I plan when I'm gonna be cleaning I plan when I do my groceries like I have a schedule for everything yep so can you I mean I'm gonna explain why so the subject is really being a black woman in academia but let's just focus on the academia part Mm -hmm. um Stephanie is a professor at Loyola University in Chicago and um mm -hmm, go ahead yeah I'm more I'm a PhD student um in the um sociology department at Loyola University of Chicago, and I also am a teaching fellow, so oh. I'm teaching graduate level courses, but I am not a professor yet because I don't yet have my doctorate, um, but I do teach. I teach college level classes. It's well, just I'm a part a, of your training. Your professor. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Anyways, okay. you're doing the job. <laughs> you're okay. doing the job without the title. I, well, um. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So w- let's just start at the very beginning. What does academia mean? What does academia mean? Academia is this kind of, academia is this space where ideas are exchanged. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like nerd central. It's where all of the nerds went because they wanted to talk 
on and on about this one particularly particular subject that they're like crazy interested about and they just never want to stop talking about it so does so, that make you a nerd well yeah um whatever that means whatever that <laughs> word means right um uh i do enjoy learning very much i i mm-hmm. can just learn all day so, so what's your yeah. subject your concentration what is that one subject that you love and that you go into academia with and talk about all day long girl je ne sais pas i don't know because when i first applied to grad school i was interested in studying religion and how so my one of my initial research interests were to look into how voodoo as a religion could serve to unite people enough could be like a really good conduit to create a social movement so if there were ever to be like a black revolution the same way that martin luther king used um christianity to like organize during the civil rights movement mm-hmm. like voodoo could also be used by whatever world leader whatever leader to unite people and to you know get them to fight for equality and now do you know what i study now <laughs> now <laughs> i study now i study um um haitian's attitude towards um ngo representatives so i look into how the presence of you know foreigners that are also ngos is influencing how haitians um develop their sense of identity their haitianness and how they create categories of foreignness based on that so do you do you feel like it's a subject that is touched upon in in the milieu that you're in already um, or is it new it's touched upon i know mark schuler i work with mark schuler um Um, he talks about NGOs. He's one of the um, most known people who talk about NGOs in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, and his work has actually helped highlight that, like, the presence of NGOs has social cultural effects. Like, I think, I'm not sure, don't quote me, but something like household sizes have changed because before we were more like, you know, a, a bunch of people in the family in one household. But when the mm-hmm. NGOs came, they were like, only one bag of rice per family and then they decided that a family meant like four people so you have people like families so that they can have access to the rice just separating so that they can qualify for aid so that's one of the consequences so it's talked mm-hmm. about but sometimes it's not, i don't know it's talked about but not really like Do you feel like i um, just found out about it when you're presenting so. those cases to um <clears throat> to your fellows Are they interested or how are they receiving that information being that it's coming from a totally different culture? Um, who, what do you mean by fellows? Like Fellows like could people. be people that are in the same rank as you, peers. Oh, they, they believe it. They believe it because most of my peers that as in, as, at least in my later academic life, <laughs> in mm-hmm. my later time in academia, I had more, I've had more uh, people of color as friends. So I have friends from different ethnic backgrounds. So they are very familiar with what it's like to have, you know, the history of your country erased mm-hmm. or just not discussed. So that was one of the things that I actually liked in academia is that, that I had found people who were as educated about mm-hmm. how messed up it is, you know, how they treat countries like Haiti. Okay. 
Hmm. And six minutes, I just learned more. I like pointing out <laughs> minutes in my in my podcast because it gives me an yeah. idea of how much conversation can happen in so little time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your path from the beginning when you started college and then when you got accepted into your PhD program. Oh my goodness. Let's okay. try to keep it in one minute. If you can. <laughs> when I started college, I did not know what I wanted to do. I was good at sciences, so I majored in math. And then I didn't have any money to pay for my tuition. And I found out about this fellowship called the Mellon Fellowship Program. The and I was just like, I'll get this program. money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to get this money is because I was only applying for the money. Let me be clear, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Who can say no to free tuition? I get it. It was free tuition for two years, and then they would help you get into grad school. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't even know what grad school was, bro. What is grad school? What's that? What? What? No. When you're Haitian, you either doctor or lawyer, Shini, and a story. Okay. <laughs> now. <laughs> and okay, so you know, the, the previous podcast, we did actually talk about that. So keep going. Wow. Look mm-hmm. at that. Yes. <laughs> and then now I. Uh, <laughs> So I applied and I got in and then I spent a summer at Wesleyan University where I found out about the social sciences. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, you could get paid to talk. That, <laughs> so you could, I could get paid <laughs> to talk about this. Okay. 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 So I went back to school. I went back, you know, that fall and I changed my major to women's studies. Initially, I was a women's studies major. And then I realized that most of my women's studies classes were sociology classes. And I was just like, well, maybe I should just do sociology and get able to work. So I did that. And then uh, the Mellon Fellowship only covered two years of tuition. I needed more money. So I applied to the CUNY pipeline program, which is another fellowship that helps you apply to grad school. Mm-hmm. So I got in and I spent an entire summer going to the graduate center from nine to five. Oh, it was so exhausting. And then, of course, I had to commute for two hours going and back. What were you doing so, from nine to five? They were giving us courses. They were giving us GRE classes. They were teaching us how to write okay. um, uh, letters of uh, statement letters, personal okay. statement. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot. Yeah, those letters. They were teaching us how to find schools, how to apply. So basically how to apply. And it was a whole process and I had a mental breakdown. Most of us did. Well, I don't know. I know I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> and then I applied to like four or five schools. If we, I only got accepted to one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I only got accepted to one. And uh, all of the other ones were like, your application is complete. And Loyola offered me three years of funding. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm moving to Chicago. <laughs> and that's how that happened. I remember that day. Wow. I remember that yeah. day. I and was shaking like I was you crying. Were crying. I saw that. It's like one of my core memories. I remember you. Yeah. I was standing in front of the door and you were walking to a cab. And I was like, <laughs> shit, this girl's leaving. Hmm. Look at her yeah. doing her thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and then I got into grad school. And when you got there, what support did you feel like you got? Do you feel like the school welcomed you very well? Did you feel like, oh, this is my place? All oh, the things I'm going to accomplish here, all oh, the 
places I will go, the people I will meet, the things I will learn. Well, my first year in grad school, I arrived and my cohort was the first cohort where there was more than three people of color. Mm-hmm. So I, I arrived at a majority white institution where in the past 10 years, from what I had heard, so I never actually looked that up, about two to three Black students had graduated. So about two to three was, students, what? Say it again. Had, had graduated with their PhD. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, but I don't know this to be a fact. It's just that that was like the thing, I guess, rumor. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that I heard in the, in the you know, hallways or whatever. So I can't verify that. Do you feel but, like this is always in the back of your head as motivation or fear? Not really in the beginning. Um, well, it had more to do with who I was a, as a person back then. I was a very arrogant person. I was very like, no, I'm right. You can't. What? No, 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 I'm right. I'm great. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Do anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> that was that was very me. So I wasn't thinking. And sometimes I thank God. Like, thank God I wasn't thinking. Thank God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if I was thinking, I probably would have been terrified. <laughs> Okay, so let's take it back a little bit. Um, and on, I mean, yeah. we're going to come back on the subject of two or three people were known to graduate, two people mm-hmm. of color, that is, to graduate. Um, when you came in undergrad, did you come with any fear? And, okay, let's just start with that. Did you come into the program with any fear, knowing that you came from a Caribbean background? And what were the things that, you were mostly worried about when I first got there I was I was not thinking about grad school I was thinking about adapting to Chicago I was thinking about the cold (laughs) I was thinking about preparing for winter because winter Chicago's and New York Chicago's are not the same I was thinking about budgeting and living alone from for the first time by myself in a city where I knew no one so when I came down to school, school was my support system. It's my, school is my rock, <laughs> okay? Like, I just know that worst case scenario, I have school. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, school will always be there, you know? It'll keep me centered, and school <laughs> is the reason I think I got my shit together. You mm-hmm. know, I think because I was in grad school, I was able to get my shit together. Like very literally, like if I did not have like this heavy load on my shoulders, I don't think that I would have been so hard on myself to become more responsible. So what caused this heavy load on your shoulders? Do you think that's what comes with academia? Do you think that's what comes with the work that needs to get done or elaborate on that? Because when you come from understand <laughs> in college I'm a straight A student you can't touch me you can't tell me anything <laughs> I have straight A's I have two fellowships I've traveled to South Africa for free you can't what mm-hmm. <laughs> say something right and I didn't pay for my tuition so then I get to grad school and everybody's like and some people are even more amazing and it's a major ego thing and it's like <laughs> you thought <laughs> and then so you have to read like two to three books per week and you have to write a paper on everything and then you have to talk to class in front of people who 
you know, their parents are professors and you've never heard English words like that before. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really intense the first year. There's a culture shock. And then my first year, I had a professor who pretty much at the end of working with her told me that I was not smart enough for grad school and that I should probably quit. That she should and quit. That I should quit. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember you yeah. called me that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, she loves me and everything. And the next thing I know, she's bad mouthing me and the entire department. And I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. So what? I really had okay. my second year of grad school. down. So how that was okay. So that happened on the second year of grad school. That's what you're about to say, right? First. First. On the very first year. Okay. First year. First year. So um was she a woman of color? Was she white? She was a white, hmm? she was a white woman. Okay. In that exact moment, when that person spoke to you that way. Uh, what did you what did you feel I cried and I said thank you for being there for me like an idiot (laughs) (laughs) and how did you grow from there so I'm guessing that's what you were about to talk about like the second year what helped you move through that if you have moved past that well let's start with I got fired not only did she tell me I should quit grad school she fired and then she told everybody in the department that I was incompetent. Mm-hmm. And of course I was incompetent. I'm a first year grad student. I don't know what you were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> I've never done this before. Oh. And that's what we mean by like generational social capital. Like I don't have, I had people I was in my program with, whenever they were confused with school, they would just call their parents, bro. And be like, uh, mom, I don't understand X, Y, and Z. And it's just like, oh, and the explanation was just giving to them over a phone conversation. So you feel like you were by yourself and then you had to do your own research, put in your own work. Absolutely. And that's mm-hmm. why the mentorship that I experienced over there, I think it probably would have been fine for a person who had privileged access and resources or who simply was just not a first generation immigrant PhD student okay like it's just yeah my life is difficult and then I have a PhD program a lot of people who are in PhD programs they're either married with kids so we're already you already know that the emotional labor and the child care is primarily done by the woman Mm. some women who get their PhDs I think are superheroes Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've seen it seen it done I've seen it done and it's only because I've seen it done that I think it's possible because if it were up to me (laughs) like the level of exhaustion that I have now without like having to take care of a little human being I cannot but some women do it just like wow you know things are possible (laughs) Mm, I like to believe that they actually speaking as a mother I think they probably get the support that they need you know when comes to bedtime, do they have somebody who takes care of that? But I do believe, yeah, it's pos- it is possible. Um, so what would you say is your support system that makes you believe that you can? What drives you every day? My arrogance. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, but talk about it. Yes. What do you mean? By- My arrogance drives me every day because how dare you tell me no? 
There, you. I die proving you wrong. Are you crazy? <laughs> How dare you tell me no? Because yes, finish the sentence. Of anything, I don't care. <laughs> like because I am clearly qualified. Don't even at me. Don't even at me. But then, more realistically, right when my arrogance, whatever, when I'm actually rooted and grounded, I would say that. Mm-hmm. Court system is. I would say the women around me. Like I would be nothing without the women around me. Why do women? Come... No men. Kimensa. <laughs> Where? <laughs> Girl, excuse me. <laughs> no, I thought that I had found that in somebody, and that was a lie. Like, oh, God, Jesus Christ. But you know, get support system, my support system. And in grad school, I learned the support system, the importance of support system, but also pay attention on uh, be careful about who is your support system more than anything. Mm-hmm. Because that person, that person will be there when you're you're most tired and you're, you yeah. know, I dare say weakest. And it's a very vulnerable position to be in. And it's a big responsibility to put on somebody else. Yeah. Um, and they have to be strong they, enough to, to be there. Yes. And they have that. to have the right character. Yeah. Also. So... I used to accept anyone as my support system. Now I don't do that anymore. Yeah, you have to learn to filter through who is qualified enough and who's relevant enough to be there, um, especially if that person is willing to be. You don't have to ask for it or you don't have to spend your energy trying to explain exactly what you're going through. I have to say that um, being in academia or... You know, just having being in a master's program as mm-hmm. mine is like being in a relationship. You have to oh, yeah. so much. You have to study. You have to get to know it. You have to um, show it love because nothing's gonna give if you don't invest yourself so much into it. For instance, I can I have nights where I'm spending hours reading and reading four to five chapters. Just to write a paper that is like 12 pages long to submit. Meanwhile, my child needs to learn his one plus two. And you can't can't get frustrated like, kid, it's three. No. It's three. I am reading (laughs) like a five page page article about this, this and that. And you do not know one plus two. And it's like, you are collected. They mm-hmm. have to keep it together. They have to um, still do your job, still ace your classes, still show up on time, still be there for your child emotionally, financially. And yeah, well, I'm talking from my experience. So I can only imagine for a PhD program and a woman that has children. Mm-hmm. Me. Yes. <laughs> So, okay. what week sex what week sex what the weakest what, what? <laughs> no <laughs> it's not <laughs> men have it really easy um uh, let's not talk about them yes let's, let's go not. but 
um, how far are you in your program and how much you have left? Who knows, Natalie? Who, okay, who knows? <laughs> but- I had plans to graduate this year. Okay. When I, because on average, the PhD takes seven to 10 years. I know that going in. I'm on your seventh. So <laughs> I'm like, tick tock off the cock. <laughs> I can't. I need, I need to finish because it's a very difficult thing to stay still for so long and to just kind of like, you know, it's patience beyond patience. What makes it last so long? What's missing um, to graduate? What makes it last so long? Well, I think that a lot of it is the stubbornness, my stubbornness and kind of like accepting criticism Mm -hmm. because they really have to break you down. (laughs) And they do. (laughs) They do. They do break you down. Um, The way the educational system is set up, at least the way that I've experienced the PhD program, they break you down to the point where they make you think, about everything. Are you sure that you know what you say that you're saying that you know? Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Mm-hmm. And that builds confidence. I would think. Well, once you're sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had this professor and he used to ask, what's the answer to this? And he would say, mm, this, this, that. And he's like, Are you asking me or are you telling me? Mm-hmm. And to him, there were never any right or wrong answer. If you could provide enough evidence to support your statement, then you got it. And you got to say it with confidence. That's the PhD. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much that's it, that's it summarized. Like, <sighs> PhD, it's slow because it's slow because you're writing together. So mm-hmm. I have to write. So for example, to write a proposal, I need to first put together a committee of at least three people. And each of these people need to be very experienced in the specific field. Mm-hmm. So because this is NGOs and, you know, uh, and, and Haiti, I need somebody who's an expert in NGOs. I need somebody who's an expert in Haiti. I need somebody who's an expert on race. I need somebody who's an expert on organizations because NGO is an organization. Then I have to write a document and then I have to share it to all of them. And then they have to give me feedback. And then I have to rewrite my article, my proposal based on their feedback until they're satisfied. Good, good. So until they're satisfied. So that means that I need to listen, <laughs> which, you know, I know I'm not very good at, but I will learn. Mm-hmm. I need to listen and I need to apply but the application sometimes means I need to do more research I need to do more reading and then I need to do more writing and most importantly I need to do more thinking in Atutsa I still need to rest and I what still have that? a social I've never heard of such a thing what is what, where do you get one of those <laughs> well that's I reject the idea of keeping it together. I purposefully schedule losing my shit every once in a while. Okay. <laughs> of course. Right. I love it. It's when like you have a five minute for releasing and thing oh. and just hitting stuff. It's just like yeah. <laughs> I, I have a punching bag in my room for this purpose. Perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. This concludes the podcast but if you had to leave with 
leave us with some advice as women going into, you know, going back to school and pursuing our dreams and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what would you say? What would you leave us with? Well, I would say first, be patient with yourself, number one. And recognize, like really sit down, for real, like sit down and recognize what is going on in your life. And then look into how what's going on in your life can affect your, like your progress or the goal that you're trying to reach. So that way, maybe you can find solutions before problems arise, for example. I, I like that's one percent. I really, yeah. And I agree. <laughs> And the second thing would be time management is something that you will never master. And just accept that and stop beating yourself up for it because that's time that you're wasting. That's <laughs> so you could be sleeping. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're wasting time. We don't have the time. No, no. You're going to make mistakes. You're a person. Mistakes are going to happen. Just, you know, stay alert and then keep working on it. That's it. And then... Let's not forget, fuck the haters. If you identify <laughs> a hater next to you, eliminate, don't ask yourself, don't wonder, don't ponder. That shit will come to you. It will bring fucking poison into your life. Like, do not know what she will. What she will, you know? And then I think that's it. And then drink water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> water. It keeps you alert. And do yoga. Drink water, sleep, and do yoga. You know, meditate. Amen. And- that's it that's what i got for you thank you so much for coming to my show i loved it amazing you're welcome. <laughs> and then you know looking forward to that graduation day maybe who knows looking forward to that graduation day you know what that's looking forward graduate. to that graduation day. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, I have a good night and thank you so much for your time. No problem.